Luke chapter 2. We're in the midst of a series called All I Want for Christmas. Let me also just remind you about our Joyful Sounds and Friends uh, program tonight. And then following that, the Milk and Cookies Fellowship. And uh, we're providing the milk. We're providing the coffee. We're asking you to provide the cookies. You say, do I have to go home and make cookies? If you would like to do that, by all means, absolutely go do that. Can I pick up cookies on the way? If you want to do that, by all means, yes. It's just if we don't bring co- if you don't bring cookies, we don't have a milk and cookies fellowship. We have a milk fellowship, which doesn't sound near as doesn't sound near as fun, right? And so, ask you to bring that. Come be a part of the program. It's an awesome program. Joyful Sounds and Friends. They've been working on it. Uh, people say, who are the friends? Well, Joyful Sounds meets on a regular basis. For the program tonight, they get some friends to join them and to be a part of it. And it's an exciting time. So make sure you're here for that. We're in the midst of this series called All I Want for Christmas, and we talked last week that that phrase has become synonymous now with a song, which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, heard this week, but was not number one this year on the holiday charts. It was a song by like a 13-year-old that was number one. It's just 65 years after she released it. Brenda Lee had the number one song in the nation this week with Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. But we had already started to do this series on All I Want for Christmas, and so I didn't want to change that, right? So All I Want for Christmas, and we talked about what we'd fill that in with. And maybe for you, there there are some things that you want for Christmas this year that if you really made a list, and I know as we get older, we're like, ah, just whatever, you don't have anything. But if you really asked for, if you really thought about it, there would be some things that you would say, man, if I could get one thing this Christmas, it would be this. Last week we talked about the need we have for hope. Well, this week, as we've already heard in our Advent reading, we're talking about joy. All I want for Christmas is joy. And here's what I want to do today. We're going to get to the shepherds in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to set the scene to make us realize something. Because I think sometimes in our, in our description of joy, we miss out on an important component of the joy that we have in Christ. I mean, after all, that's the only place. I'm going to spoil the sermon for you. The only place you can find true joy is in Christ. But sometimes we miss out on the fact that our joy in Christ is possible only because of Christ's joy in us. That He loves us. He is joyful about us. And we talk a lot about Christ's love, but we don't talk as much about His joy in us. Now I want to take you to a couple of places in Scripture before we get to the shepherds to show you this joy that God, that Jesus has in us. And the first is in Hebrews chapter 12. Familiar passage, many of you know this, you've heard this, I've preached on this multiple times. Therefore, since we have saw such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Just to say something to you real quick. That's one of those I memorized in the NIV. It's hard for me to read it in another one. I get my words twisted up, right? But I want you to notice this. For the joy that lay before him. All right, just to be clear, who is him? Jesus. 
for the joy that lay before Jesus, he, Jesus, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. So, there's this joy that lay before him. We'll get to that in a minute. But because of the joy that he had that lay before him, he endured the cross. The most horrific, embarrassing, violent way for someone to be killed. I would say that not just in their time frame, but modern man has not come up with anything that rivals it either. He didn't endure just death. He endured death on the cross. When I was a youth, I went to a youth camp. And the Thursday night sermon, when we were going home on Friday, the one that at youth camp everything builds towards, you know, Thursday night, decision night, this is it. And I remember for about 25 minutes, the speaker, I remember who the speaker was, spent 25 minutes describing the agony of the cross. The lashings, the flesh being torn, the crown of thorns piercing into his head, the suffocation that happened, the breaking of the legs that was normal but didn't happen with Jesus. Like the whole thing. And I remember in that moment just being horrified that Jesus endured that for me. But here it tells us that he endured it for what? The joy that lay before him. Let me ask you this question. What was that joy that lay before him because of the cross? A couple of things. First of all, Romans tells us that God, who had looked over sin in the past, would not be, and that he would be just in his judgment because a sacrifice had been given that was right and complete and full. So part of it is the justification or the atonement that allowed God to look at our sins as if they never happened, our justification, which means the joy set before him was a relationship with us. His joy is you. Old Testament. Zephaniah. Now, a lot of y'all been doing your devotionals all the time in Zephaniah. Chapter 3, verse 17 says, The Lord your God is among you. This was written to a people, a prophecy of the coming day of the Lord, and that the Lord would destroy his enemies. He would lift up his people. And it says, The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Not begrudgingly, not because he has to, but with gladness he rejoices. You know what the idea behind rejoice is, right? It's the verb of joy. He will be quiet in his love, or he will quiet you with his love. He will delight in you with singing. Some of you have been around for a while, and I've broken down this verse a little bit. That last part always blows me away because the verse there says he will delight in you with singing. First of all, it shows us that God is a singing God, that God sings, which is just awesome to think about, right? 
But the word picture here is not just someone who does what a lot of us do in a place like this. We stand, and if we sing, especially for us that are guys, we sing kind of uh, half effort at best. Right? Now, we've got some enthusiastic people, some people that like to sing or like to really go for it. And, you know, we that, that's great. That's awesome. But a lot of us are just the kind of, you know, I'm good with it. I like it. You know, I'll, I'll do it a little bit. That's not what the picture here is. In fact, the Hebrew picture of what is happening in this place is that it says when he delights over you with singing, it is a picture of one who is singing at the top of their lungs. Anybody here remember a guy that used to be a part of our church that moved to Dallas to run a vocal department named Cliff Forbus? Anybody remember him? Okay. If, y'all didn't, if you didn't know Cliff, Cliff was a member of our church and um, led music sometimes. And uh, Cliff was, Cliff is one of the top opera tenors in the world. One day I was sitting in my office, door slightly cracked, and I heard something coming that I thought, who is blasting music in this place? It's just, you know, like, what, where did that come from? What is it? And so I come out of my office, and I hear it's coming from the sanctuary, and I walk into the sanctuary, and I'm like, why is the microphone turned up so loud? And it wasn't. Cliff was standing right there, just no microphone at all, singing at the top of his lungs, and it was distracting to me in my office. Okay? The picture in Scripture here is that God is in an opera house and he is filling the room at the top of his voice in his love for you. Not only that, the word delight there has a picture of someone who is jumping up and down, spinning with delight. So when you describe how God feels about you, when you think about the joy of the Lord, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? It was us. How does he feel about us? He is rejoicing over us. He is singing at the top of his lungs, jumping up and down, spinning in circles. It is a joy that is infinite and eternal. And there was one moment in history when that broke through in a way that it never has before and it won't again until Jesus breaks through the eastern sky. Chapter 2 of the book of Luke, verse 8. In the same region, same area where Jesus was born, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And all of God's people said, absolutely. Let's not forget who these guys are. These are the third shift shepherds. They're the overnight shepherds. They're the overnight crew. They're the rough ones of the rough ones. Just if you, if you remember, shepherds couldn't even go into the worship facilities. They were considered unclean. And I don't know how they drew straws, but if you drew the night shift, either you did something wrong or you were really unlucky. Because what was the hardest time of night to keep the sheep settled and nothing away from them? I mean, everything away from them. It was night. 
And in the midst of that, suddenly an angel appears. Verse 10 says, don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you what? Good news of great joy. The word for great there in the original language is literally mega. Mega joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you who was the Messiah, the Lord. This little phrase, these little moments, or this moment, gives us a picture, if you will, of the way God loves us and rejoices in us. First of all, He rejoices in surprising us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb here that I don't think really is that far out on a limb. I don't think there have ever been in the history of the world a group of people more surprised than the shepherds were that night. On their bingo card, I'm sure they had bingo back in the first century, right? Angels appearing to us to announce the birth of the Savior was not on there. Complete and utter shock, right? Like, what in the world just happened? And I... Anybody here, somebody that likes uh, pulling a surprise on other people? Okay, Brad, I see that hand. Wanda. Jimmy, was that you? Did I see that hand back there, Jimmy? All right. So it's some, like, like when, you, when you pull off a surprise birthday party and the person walks in and they're genuinely shocked and don't do the, oh my goodness, I did not realize this was happening tonight. Like when they're generally shocked or, um, you know, uh, like a, a jump scare. Anybody, anybody like to like, you know, surprise somebody, uh, do that or, or shock somebody, right? Uh, my dad told the story when he was growing up, my uh, brother was, or his brother was walking in uh, one night, and my dad hid in the closet. And his brother Chris had come in late, and as Chris walked by the closet, dad just stuck his hand out of the closet and put it on his shoulder, and Chris fainted right there on the floor. Right? And dad said it was one of his favorite moments in his life. So like, I imagine that God was smiling when the shepherds were shot. He planned it for them. I mean, when he was imagining the way to tell the world that Jesus was born, God had, you know what I'm going to do in the most surprising place to the most surprising people. He rejoices in surprising us. Secondly, he rejoices in saving us. What's the good news of great joy? Today, For you, in the city of David, is born what? A Savior. Jesus Christ, the Lord, a Savior. Now, this phrase, Savior, had been used from the Old Testament. It's described in in a little bit of of kind of prophecy that is going to happen in Genesis chapter 3. But it's really shown in the Passover where God by force removes His people from bondage in Egypt and brings them into the 
promised land. So he brings them out. He saves them. And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, they are declaring that one day God is going to save us. One day God is going to bring salvation. Salvation is the Lord. Salvation is coming. One day with the day of the Lord, salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. And for hundreds of years, they waited and waited. In fact, 400 years after the last of the Old Testament was written and prophesied, Jesus is born about 400 years later. And so for 400 years, they had been waiting and God had been preparing. God had been waiting. God had been getting everything set just right. And when the moment happened, he sent his son for our salvation. He loves rescuing us. Here's the third thing we see in this passage. God rejoices not only in surprising and saving, but satisfying us. Remember John 10.10 at the end of the Zacchaeus passage? We preached on it just a few weeks ago, talked about it. Excuse me, not Zacchaeus passage, John 10.10 in that teaching. He says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, what, to give Life and give it what? Abundantly. To the fullest. To the absolute best. One of the most significant phrases that impacted my life outside of Scripture happened in January of 1997. I was sitting listening to a sermon with a group of 2,500 college students in Austin, Texas. And the speaker for that day said to us, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. When our lives are completely satisfied by the Lord, that is when we are living our ultimate life. And that is where we find joy. The shepherds, out in a field, unaware of what was coming, did not realize that God's joy was going to break through and the coming of joy was in a manger in Bethlehem. And the world has never been the same since. Here's my question to you today as we finish. Have you experienced that joy? Have you experienced the joy of knowing the Savior, first of all? Have you experienced the joy of being saved, of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, of having Him enter into your life and change you forever? Secondly, if you're a believer, have you experienced joy? I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about good feeling. I'm talking about joy. Joy is the ability to stand firm and to have that sense of everything's okay in the midst of the most difficult times of life. Happiness is often there. And and sometimes there's not a distinction that great between them. But happiness in general is that which is fleeting, which is there for a moment, which is there for a time, which is there just briefly. But joy is what lasts. Joy is what allowed 
me this summer to stand in the pulpit of my home church with my father's body laying before me and proclaim through tears the goodness and the greatness of our God. It's what gives us hope even when we look at a world that seems to be crumbling all around us. It's what gives us the vision to keep going even when life is excruciatingly tough. Because we have a joy that comes from a God who rejoices in us. So what do we do with all of that? What's our goal in life with all of that? Our goal ultimately is just to simply rejoice and give praise to God for the good news of great joy. Rejoice in the news of great joy. I just wonder today if you are experiencing that joy. This Christmas season, in the midst of everything else going on, in the midst of all that is happening around us, are you able to experience the joy of Christ? Are you able to focus on Him? Are you able to fill your life with Him? And if so, how can we, like the shepherds, carry that to someone else? One of my favorite things about the shepherds in this story, and we won't go down and read that whole scripture, but one of my favorite things about shepherds in this whole story is that the shepherds were the first evangelist that ever lived. These guys that weren't allowed to walk into a temple or a synagogue were the first to tell people, that the Savior had been born. And all that means for us is that there is not a single person in this room that is beyond the reach of God and not a single person in this room that God doesn't rejoice over. See, it's easy to say, yeah, I know that spinning around in circles, singing at the top of his lungs, joy of God, but that's for other people. But Scripture makes it clear it's for all of us. And that he offers us the opportunity to experience that joy if we will but accept the gift of his sons. Incarnation, coming to earth, being born, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins and rising again from the grave. In just a moment I'm going to pray and as I pray, after that we're going to stand and we're going to sing and I'm going to be down here and if you would like to respond, I'm going to ask you to come in whatever way God's called you to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the great news, the good news of great joy that you have brought to us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we seek to live that out, to live a life of joy to live a life of commitment to you, to give thanks for the way that you love us, and to shine forth your light to those around us. And Lord, we pray that we will be a people that just live by joy. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, that today would be the day and that they would understand who you are what you've called us to do. And Lord, for the first time ever, maybe, that they would accept you as their Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.